All right, welcome to those who are joining us online or watching or listening to us uh, later on in the week. Our in-person gathering is underway right now, and uh, we are so thankful to be with everyone both in person and online. So here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. Brian is going to be reading the scripture for us. Claude will be communicating from the Bible, and then we'll be responding to his word uh, by singing. And then finally, Meredith will come up and close out our gathering. Can we uh, spend some time in prayer together before we go any further? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord God, that, uh, that your presence is in the midst of us right now, Lord God, that as a, a priesthood of believers, Lord God, we believe that your presence is in this place. We're so thankful for it, Lord God. We're thankful, Lord God, that, uh, that you're doing something that we uh, can't even perceive yet, Lord Jesus, and we're, we're holding fast to that, and we're claiming it by faith. Today, Lord God, I pray for an abundance of blessing, Lord Jesus, on those that are online, Lord God, those that are in person, Lord Jesus. Let your church, no matter where we're gathered or what it looks like, Lord God, uh, be blessed by you in significant and life-changing ways today, God. We pray that your word would go forth, Lord Jesus, that it would uh, not return void, but it would accomplish everything that it sets out to do. We pray, God, that uh, the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened and that our ears would be receptive to what you want to speak to us today. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Give you a chance to mask up there. Okay. Good morning. My name is Brian, and I'll be reading the scripture for today. Uh, it comes from Mark 10, verse 32 to 52. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. 
But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Thanks, Brian. Uh, you can put it right. Uh, hand it to Meredith. That's fine. So we thought it'd be awesome if we were able to gather together and read 20 verses. <laughs> you did a great job, Brian. This is, uh, I also want to let some people off the hook there in the back. They're doing the best they can. There's a delay on the computer for some reason today. So um, they're not just super bad at being able to click a button <laughs> in case you're wondering. They're doing a great job. So there might be a delay. Try not to be distracted about that because that will be super distracting. Nothing else in this space will distract you <laughs> in any way whatsoever. Um, it's so great uh, to be able to see you guys and to be able to gather and uh, appreciate your understanding with... Uh, all that is happening around us, uh, the foghorn that will blow, people that will cheer. Just so you know, um, that's the best case scenario for someone like me. I'm very difficult to distract. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm like, squirrel, dog, that ball keeps going up. One came over the uh, balcony a second ago, a couple minutes ago, actually. That was fun. Like, what if in the middle of speaking, all of a sudden a volleyball just shoots up here? I'll be done for the day. Be like, thank you, goodbye. Just so you know, because I have to say it, these, these windows here are actually mirrors. And the only reason I know that is because some woman was like, looked like she was getting my attention earlier when we were setting up. And I did like a double look and she looked kind of angry. And so I'm like, me and like point, like I'm thinking, what did we do wrong? And she's just staring at me. I'm like, what? And so I'm looking at her and she like leans in. I'm like, holy cow. And she's like, and she starts fixing something on her teeth. I'm like, that's amazing. The problem is she was kind of quick about it. So I didn't quite get my phone out to take a picture because I'm that person also. Anyway, they can't see us, and we're going to be okay. We'll get through this. <laughs> I promise. Uh, we are uh, continuing, actually wrapping up our series. It's been a nine-week series, Greater Expectations, and uh, it has flown by. Uh, this morning's message is actually entitled Missional, and so we're going to have Greater Expectations Missionally. And uh, as, uh, as we conclude this series, uh, I started thinking about um, times that actually we're distracted by things. The text is a little bit about people that are distracted, and we'll get into that. And obviously, we're in an environment where we're somewhat distracted. Um, and so I thought it was a perfect illustration. I, I did like a soccer camp. Uh, I was part of one. I was a coach at a soccer camp uh, years ago, and they were uh, younger kids. And we were at this outdoor venue, and we have our team, and we're sitting them all down. And they look over, and there's a playground where we're at. And uh, uh, as they sit down, they're all staring at the playground. And uh, so to me, I just want to kind of recognize what's in the space. I'm like, pretty cool playground, huh? They're like, yeah, yeah. Like, all right, well, we're here to play soccer. So uh, let's talk a little bit about soccer. Arm shoots up. Yeah, buddy, what's up? When are we going to go on the playground? Like, uh, well, we're actually not going to go on the playground because we're here to play soccer. And he's like, oh, right, right, right. Okay, all right. So I'm going through. I'm telling him about what's going to happen and everything. Uh, any questions? Arm goes up. Yeah, you. Uh, when will we be able to, like, swing if we want to go on the swings? We're, we're not going to go on the swings. We're not going to go on the swings. We're here to play soccer. Everybody, who loves soccer? They're like, yeah. I was like, all right, so we're going to play soccer today. You can be on the playground anytime. We're not doing that today. 
Quick question. Yeah, what's up? So how about the slide? Can we go on the slide before we play the playground? I'm like, dear help me, Jesus. I'm going to go knock the playground down. I'm going to burn it, and then you will never see it. Like, we're not going on the playground. It's not going to happen. When we are done, you can ask your parents if you want to play in the playground. But today, playground, not happening. So who wants to play soccer? Yeah, playground's not going to happen. So who knows we're not going on the playground? They all, like, raise their hand. Like, all right. So put your hands down. Who thinks maybe, just maybe, we might still be able to go on the playground. I'm not kidding. Half the hands went up. They're kind of like, eh. like, we're not going on the playground. They're like, I really thought we could just go on the playground. I'm like, you didn't even know the playground existed until you got dropped off today. And so it was one of those types of things, a distraction. It's like you get in your mind something and you obsess about it. And so the question I want to ask as we move into the text is, why are we sometimes consumed with what we can get out of a situation? with what we can get out of a situation. They're there to play soccer, but they see this new opportunity and they just want to do it. And as much as it can be kind of funny when we're talking about kids and uh, soccer and a playground and the temptation there, the reality is we all do it as humans. I think the answer to the question about being consumed with what we can get out of a situation is somewhat rather straightforward. We're sometimes consumed with what we can get out of a situation because quite simply, we have expectations. We have expectations. As humans, we come into situations knowing how we want things to turn out. And when there's a new variable, we get obsessed about that new thing. Like, that's awesome. It's shiny. It's new. I want that. That's the thing that matters. We want to get that out of the situation. People, there are two, of course, extremes when it comes to this. There are people who go into situations with an obvious personal agenda. People with these agendas kind of push their agenda on other people. They put their expectations on others. They try to rally the group. There was one of those in this soccer team that just started like, listen, if we all run to the playground, like, what is he going to do? I'm like, I will kick you out of this camp. You will never kick a soccer ball again. They're like, no, what? But it's like, if we can just get our agenda, if enough of us go towards that, then they can't stop us. And so there is that extreme. But there's also another extreme. To the other extreme, there are people that know kind of how they want something to work out, but they are kind of people that prefer to be in the background. They aren't up for maybe even the fight, let's say, If they're wired that way, they just kind of basically cave to the agenda or the expectations of others. Now, before you start pointing your finger to who you think I'm talking about, um, the fact is that I'm talking about every single one of us. Every single one of us. Now, you might embody one of those extremes. You might be a person that pushes your agenda. Um, You can ask your spouse if you're married or your children or whatever you'd like if you're confused as to which extreme you're on. But you might be a type of person that that pushes your agenda on others. You might be a person that just kind of acquiesces to other people's agenda. But regardless of which extreme you're closer to or if you even embody one of those extremes, the point is this. As humans, we're all on the agenda spectrum. We're all on the agenda spectrum. We all come with an agenda. So it means whether you're pushing your agenda or surrendering it, the fact is you have an agenda. You have a preferred outcome. You have an expectation, if you will. In every situation, there's some way that you want it to work out. And today's text is about two types of people and kind of their differing expectations, where they fall on this spectrum, if you will. If we start off at verses 32 through 34, I will reread those real quick. It says this, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed. 
And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. He lays it all out there. Jesus is super clear about exactly what's going to happen. There's tremendous detail. For those of you that maybe uh, grew up with limited exposure to uh, the Bible or to church, maybe you thought that maybe the, the cross took the disciples by surprise. And interestingly enough, they sort of act like they're taken by surprise, even though he says exactly what's going to happen. Why is that? You might say, you might get this out of order and be like, Oh, well, they're amazed and afraid because of what he just said. But if you read the text, they were amazed and afraid before he laid out the plan, before he clarified, amazed and afraid. Why were these emotions already present in the disciples before he even talks about his death again? So almost all commentators agree that it's because they're with the Messiah and they're headed into Jerusalem. So if you can consider a little bit the context, if you're just joining us in the series, then you might not know what that exactly means. But I want to picture what's happening here. They have the expectation based on all the things they've been told since they were little Jewish kids, that the Messiah will come to overthrow the Roman government, that he's going to be a great political leader, that he's going to be an anarchist, if you will. He's going to be a great warrior. And so their expectation is that they're headed in to battle, that this is the Messiah Jesus. And as much as they've done all these amazing things, now they're headed to Jerusalem. This is it. This is the moment, guys. He's about to overthrow Rome. And so because of that, they're amazed and they're afraid. Their expectations are getting the best of them. They're going to rule in Jerusalem. And so Jesus kind of picking up on this current yet again, Yet again, literally. Hey guys, we're not playing with the playground. Okay, got it. No, just quick question though. Yeah, can we play in the playground? Oh my goodness, no. <laughs> That's literally what's happening with the disciples. Yeah, so I'm gonna die, right. So when we overthrow Rome, wow, no, I'm gonna die, got it. So when we go to rule in Rome, holy smokes. Like I can't even imagine how it is that, that Jesus has got to just be dealing with this. So here he pulls the disciples aside and for the third time with complete clarity, he says, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And then he lays it all out, the spitting, the flogging. He even says, I'm going to rise again. He says the whole thing with detail and they're listening. I, I can only imagine they're like, uh-huh. We got to pay attention because we're going into Jerusalem. Got it. Yep. Okay. Verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, <laughs> came up to him and said, Teacher, uh, we have a question. Uh, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. She's like, Okay. All right. Their expectations give way to their agenda. All right, that's what's taking place. Verse 37 says this. And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. When you go to rule, 
can we be on your right and left? I can only imagine. If I'm Jesus, I'm like, you're joking, right? I mean, seriously, like, Peter put you up to this, right? You're messing with me. There is no way after three stinking times I have made it clear that I'm about to go and die that you actually still think that we're going to go and rule in Jerusalem. After what he has just made clear, they bring their agenda. This is what we want out of the situation. Listen, if we aren't careful, we will be so wrapped up in what we believe to be worthy agendas that we will completely miss the heart and mission of God. Let me say that one more time. If we aren't careful, we will be so wrapped up in what we believe to be worthy agendas. And there's a lot of worthy agendas in our world right now. We will be so wrapped up in what we believe to be worthy agendas that we will be completely missing the heart and mission of God. We sit there and think, yep, got it. Okay, I got it. So this is what matters to me, God, just so you know, because um, my expectations, because how I think this should work out, because I'm sure that, that you are on my side and that we understand everything. So I just want this to work out this way, God. And God just has to be so exhausted by us. He's gotta be so exhausted by us, but he isn't. He's not. Like, just before you want to pitch yourself a pity party and feel guilty and bad, verse 38, Jesus kind of models some patience. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or, be, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? In this moment, Jesus says, listen, I know you have your agenda and your expectations, but he redirects them. He focuses them one more time on the mission. My prayer is that he in his grace and mercy would redirect and focus us away from our expectations and our agendas. I said focus us away from our because we are like the disciples. Every single one of us we, we come to God with our agendas, with our expectations of how this should play out, whatever the this may be. We have to be careful not to, to distance ourselves from the disciples, to look at the disciples kind of down our nose and be like, oh my gosh, they can't get it straight. Holy cow, how many times does Jesus have to tell them the same thing? I mean, so I really want what I want, Right? We do the same exact thing. I say it because we all have an, an inner lawyer, if you will, that goes and starts to argue our case about how we're right, how we're justified. I mean, after all, our motives are pure. Arguing for ourselves, but the reality is we are all sinners. And sin affects us. It has its effect on us. Jesus is talking about suffering, and they say, we want something from you. He's talking about how he's going to lay down his life and they come in and say, we want something from you. I want to tell you, sin makes life about us. It makes it about our wants and it makes us insensitive to others. Get this, life off mission, off mission becomes about power and comfort, our agenda and our self-interests. 
That's, that's what it comes to. You get, and you see it in the world and on, every, on everyday interactions. And even more so in this season, this idea of, of power and comfort and us, what we want, what we need. What a fun text to talk through, huh? <laughs> like, yay, I'm terrible. I knew I was before, but it's becoming more clear now. The fact is we all need to face our own depravity and realize the seriousness of our sin nature as humans. In fact, James and John, they're not even alone in kind of their miss here. It's, it's bigger than just James and John missing it. Verse 41 actually goes on and says, when the 10 heard it, because there's 12 disciples, right? So when the other 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. There's like a fight going on. There's an argument here. They're angry at James and John. Why? Why? Because they're upset at their insensitivity. <laughs> Guys, he just said he was going to die. Why would you say what you want? No. <laughs> they're indignant because they had their own agendas and expectations. And they're annoyed that James and John's are jockeying for the better positions. And we know that because of Jesus' response. He doesn't respond and say, hey, guys, you guys just calm down. James and John meant well. No, he doesn't say that. He starts talking to all of them. We get the idea from the text that it's almost like he's kind of breaking up an argument and telling them to knock it off and setting them straight. Verses 42 through 43 say this. And Jesus called them to him. Come here, guys. And said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, serve. The serve. He's reminding them that the kingdom of God flips the world's power structure and that the mission matters more than personal agenda. Now, here's the temptation. If, if you're sitting there, you're like, oh, yeah, I am a terrible person. Like, holy cow, that's what I need to do. I need to do that. I need to just serve other people. I need to muster up the niceness in me and just lay down my agenda. Then really what you're doing is you're falling to that other extreme. You still have an agenda. You're just suppressing it and you're succumbing to the agenda and, ex and expectations of others. That's not what's happening here. It's more about missional expectation. That mission matters more than personal agenda. Missional expectations. We, we see someone else's agenda in this text. Again, this is a huge chunk of scripture that we're moving through, but it connects here in verse 47. It says, and when he heard, that we're jumping to the story of blind Bartimaeus, or who's known as blind Bartimaeus, so you'll find more about him right now. And when he heard, meaning Bartimaeus, that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Now, if you're not careful, you might try to pull these verses apart and say like, oh, okay, that was about expectation, but this is about something different. The fact is, Bartimaeus has an expectation here. You see, we might conclude that this text is a new topic, that it's about persistence and faith, that Bartimaeus displays this persistence and this faith, and, and as a result, he gets what he wants. And those are important things. Persistence and faith are important and fine things, but they aren't what helps Bartimaeus here. You see, if it's all about faith and persistence, 
then that means Bartimaeus brought about his agenda. Follow the logic. It means that because of his faith and his persistence, he got his agenda. So he was healed based on his effort. If you follow that logic, it means that if we have enough faith, that if we have enough persistence, we'll always get what we want. (laughs) How's that working out for you, right? It becomes real easy then to be like, hmm, I have bad faith. That's the problem. The problem is really me, or I just wasn't persistent enough. That, That God is kind of this mean, overpowering authority figure that has a secret Uh, calibration, that if you have enough faith, you tip the scales and magically get what you want. But if you don't have enough faith, sorry, it doesn't work out your way. And so it's a dangerous thought process. I mean, if we follow that logic, then James and John could rule with Jesus if they just had more faith and persistence. (laughs) Do you see it? Do you see the problem? It's an easy religious perspective to fall into, but it's rooted in a me-centered theology that I work things out for myself. But that's not what's taking place. Verse 49 says this, and Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. Listen, Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. We should absolutely cry out. We could cry out to God. But he was healed because Jesus stopped. Jesus' mercy levels the playing field. The kingdom of God isn't influenced by socioeconomical standing, by politics, by race, gender, or even personal agenda. No, listen, the Messiah stops for a beggar. The eternal king stops for a beggar. And get this, he asks him the same question that he asked his disciples. He asks of the beggar what he asked James and John earlier. Verse 51, and Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. His agenda, you see, because he had an agenda, he had an expectation, we all do as humans, but his agenda is in line with the kingdom of a God. His agenda is mercy. Would you have mercy on me? And the object of his faith is what matters. The object of his faith is Jesus. It's not the quality of his faith. It's the object of his faith. If we can lay our expectations and agendas down and align them instead with the kingdom of God, then when we call upon God, we'll find mercy in our time of need. I said mercy in our time of need, not then we get what, our, what we want. Let me tell you the secret to capture the leprechaun at the end of the rainbow. Everybody gets a gold pot. You did it. No, I'm talking about mercy in our time of need. I'm talking about submitting to realizing God understands this and has a greater perspective than we do. So God, if it be your will, would you have mercy on me? It won't always look the way we want it to. But here's the thing. God will stop for us. That's what the scripture's saying is that he'll stop for you. That if you cry out to him, he'll stop for you. He's listening to you. He hears the cry of your heart. He hears the heartache. He hears the pain. 
But if we've already established that we can't lay our agendas aside, that we all have agendas and that in some way they're sinful and wicked, then, then how do we get here? How do we get to, to a better place? Is it just literally through our effort? Do we just push down the humanity and try to be a better person? <laughs> it's exhausting. And I would submit to you, impossible. No, the answer is in verse 45. So if we actually go back to verse 45, it says this. For if even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for money. This is Jesus speaking. He says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The answer is right there. Jesus lays out the gospel right there. It says that for the son of man came not to be served. So he came means that he existed before being born. That God himself became man and stepped into earth. Fully God and fully man. And he says he gave his life as a ransom for many. I want to quickly break this down so we can understand what it is that we're talking about. This word for is a Greek word. The Greek word for for here means instead of, in place of, or substitute. So instead of, in place of, or substitute. So we, we have this idea of Jesus giving his life instead of, in place of, or as a substitute, a ransom. What does ransom mean? Ransom in the original Greek means to buy the freedom of a slave or a prisoner. Ransom means something else in our society, right? But in the original text, ransom means to buy the freedom of a slave or a prisoner. So let's put all that together. Jesus, fully God and fully man, stepped into time and bought our freedom. So we no longer have to be a slave or a prisoner to sin. How? Because he took our punishment. Instead of, in place of, or, our sub, or as our substitute, which means we don't have to fall victim to our worldly agendas. We can truly have greater expectations because of his mercy. That's the gospel. He did the work. It's our only hope. A life on mission is a life without you in the center. It's others focused. You see, when God is the center of our life, instead of one of the wedges, we're famous for doing that. You know, we've got our sports thing, we've got our work thing, we've got our house thing, our vacation thing, all the different things. And then one of those is our God thing. And sometimes the other things push out the God thing and sometimes the God thing's really big and whatever, but that's not the intent of Christian living. That's not living life to the fullest. Living life to the fullest is saying, let's put God in the center of our lives so that God informs every aspect. What does it look like to be a, a Christ-centered, gospel-centered influencer in our sports, in our work, in when we go and vacate, when we deal with all the different things of our lives? You see, it's about God being in the center and focusing on others. It's about being missional. We've been set free. And if we've been set free, we can be gospel-centered influencers in every sphere of life. That's how it happens. It happens by replacing that lie that we need to be in control with asking God to be the center of our lives and checking that daily, surrendering. Lord, I made this about me. 
I made it about me again, would you forgive me? One more time, I'm distracted by the playground. (laughs) One more time, you're talking to me about the thing that I should be focused on and I'm throwing my hand up in the air and being like, yeah, I know, but it's kind of uncomfortable. So can we do something more comfortable? (laughs) God's like, you're on mission. This is your one and only life. Are you leveraging it towards the furtherance of the kingdom? Are you distracted by the agendas and the expectations and the worries of the world? We can be gospel-centered influencers in every sphere of life and actually live on mission towards others. We say every week that the text requires something of us. The application is somewhat unique this week. I want to challenge you to actually write something down. The application is this. Write down three ways you can use your influence to help another person. Write down three ways you can use your influence to help another person. Now, here's the deal. (laughs) You can mess this up into performance. You can lean this into, be a good person. I'm gonna help other people. Mm, That's good. And you know what? That is good, and you should help other people. But people really far from God and completely off mission can be philanthropists. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being so transformed by the truth of the gospel and what it is that God has done for you that you literally say, with God in the center of my life, what are three ways I can use my influence, leverage my influence to be missional, to help another person. For some of you, you need to start by removing yourself from the center of your life. So for some of you today, it has to look like putting God in the center of your life. And if that's you today, it's as simple as praying a prayer to begin a relationship with God. It doesn't have to sound like this, but something along the lines of acknowledging the fact that you have been the leader of your own life. Ask God to forgive you of your sins and acknowledge the fact that he laid down his life and died the death that you deserve. God, would you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. For you, maybe that's where the application begins is to be transformed by the truth of the gospel by surrendering your life. You can pray that prayer right now in the quietness of your seat. I'd love to talk to you about that if you have prayed that prayer recently or if you have in the past and you haven't talked to one of us about it. I'd love to talk to you about the next steps. For others of us in the room today, or if you're listening or watching later, maybe you've been transformed um, by this decision in the past. And I should also acknowledge this. If you are watching live, you can click the request prayer button right now and it'll go into a private chat so you can talk with one of our hosts about the decision you just made to follow Christ. I'll have to get used to that, sorry. In a practical way, for those of you that have maybe already crossed that line of salvation, I want to challenge you to to consider what it looks like to live on mission, to have missional expectations, missional greater expectations, to meet a need, to be an agent of God's mercy. Imagine that. I mean, just 12 people that, that understood this, the impact they had on our world and our history, but imagine what it would look like in your workplace and in your sporting teams and wherever you find yourself in your schools, if you would just... Remove yourself from the center and lean into what it is that maybe God's asking you to do, to be an agent of God's mercy, to maybe find and meet a practical need. Maybe it's a spiritual need. Maybe one of those things that you need to write down in influencing another person is to influence them spiritually, to have a spiritual conversation. I want to challenge you to to write down and to share and discuss what it is that you've written down. The kids are, if you have children, the kids are having a similar conversation text, uh, sorry, they have the same text, a similar conversation. Allow it to be a conversation that you have with your family if you, if you have children here. If not, discuss it with a friend that's here or someone else 
but a form of accountability to break that mold of me-centered theology. Let's just bow our heads and say a word of prayer before we respond through worship today. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would be the center of our hearts, that you would be the center of our lives, that you would help us to truly focus on what it is that you're asking us to do. What does it look like for us to live on mission in our families, in our schools, in our sporting teams, in our job, wherever it is that we find our place, God, that we wouldn't settle for what we think the best version of the situation might be, what our expectations are, what our agenda is, but that we would acknowledge that there's a greater mission or that you laid down your life for something greater than our power or our comfort that we would pray prayers in line with your mission, in line with the gospel, that we would lean in and cry out for your mercy in times of need and that we would follow you all the days of our lives. Not because we can muster it up or because we're good enough, but because you're good enough. Because you're willing in your grace and mercy to stop for us and to hear our prayers. And so we surrender to you today. We declare ourselves available and we respond in worship, declaring you worthy. In your name we pray, amen, amen. Let's worship together with the Lord. You stand your feet.